It is your Thursday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have everybody back for another day. Really good one coming up here. Dane Moore from the uh, Dane Moore NBA podcast will join me here in just a few minutes to talk Timberwolves. I love Dane's perspectives on on all things NBA, but I especially wanted to pick his brain on Mike Conley Jr., just kind of what we've seen so far since the Timberwolves made that trade last week involving D'Angelo Russell. Um, Dane and I got into kind of where the Wolves fit into the, the Western Conference landscape at this point, heading into you know, a couple more games here and then uh, you know, one more game and then the, the, the All-Star break coming up here. And, uh, you know, and just kind of some big picture stuff with salary cap, what they got in return for uh, in, in the trade beyond Mike Conley Jr. And, and then Dan and I got into a little bit of Bally Sports North stuff at the end, which I thought was a good conversation. So we, we went there and I'll get into a little bit more of some news on Wednesday involving some debt payment not made by Diamond Sports, the parent company that runs all the Bally Sports channels and what that might mean going forward first though what did i miss got to start with the wild a 3-2 loss to colorado on um, on wednesday night national tv tnt game and you know it's one of those games where you can't be mad at the effort they outshot colorado i think 43 19 in that game so you can't be mad at the effort you don't look at it and say they've quit you don't look at it and say Ah, uh, you know, the season's going nowhere, even though they're kind of right on the fringe now of that playoff positioning, and that was a damaging loss <clears throat> to Colorado, which was a team that had a very similar record to the Wild coming into this game. I just think it was a game that illustrates the fundamental problem that we've talked about on this show multiple times, a 3-2 loss to Colorado. Now, they did get a 5-on-5 goal, finally a Kirill Kaprizov goal um, towards the end of the third period, gave them gave them some life gave them some jump in the final five minutes, but could not get that equalizer. But I think if we're being honest about the Wild right now, they've tried to kind of paper over this problem this year with style of play, with trying to piece together different lines, things like that. They just don't have enough scoring. They don't have enough scoring talent right now. And when you don't have enough scoring talent, you are not going to be able to score enough goals. And I think they recognize this coming into the season. They tried to change their style to be a more defense-first team, to be more tight-checking, things like that. And I think that has worked to a certain degree. But when you're in a goal-scoring funk of these sorts of depths, when you're scoring like one five-on-five goal every you know every game for the last, I don't know, a, half, a dozen or so games, you are not going to win a lot of games. That's, where the, that's the position they're finding themselves in right now. And, you know, they've gotten away with it to a certain degree because their penalty uh, their penalty kill and their power play have been quite good this season, especially relative to last year, like we've talked about on a show last week. But by and large, what we are seeing right now is not an effort problem. It is a talent problem. It is a problem of they do not have enough good players on their top three lines and especially their top two lines. They don't have enough goal scorers. They don't have a first-line center right now. They don't have all of those things that make you a high-powered or at least even a functional offensive hockey team, and it's really coming back to hurt them right now. Again, I think they papered over it for a while this season, but that game just illustrates it more and more. You get 43 shots. You can only put two in. You get an okay chances, but you're just not generating a ton of those glorious looks. You're not really getting into those really into the best possible spaces. Some of those are perimeter shots. I mean, it just feels a lot like wild teams of past, right? We, we hated 
kind of the, the the watching that, especially when you got to the postseason where they couldn't score, couldn't score, they'd outshoot teams, but they wouldn't win. That kind of feels like the cycle they're in right now. And you know, there was a good a good thoughtful discussion about this team on the TNT post game. Kind of the the question posed, you know, if you were Bill Guerin, what what do you do with the trade deadline approaching in a couple of weeks? What do you what do you make of this roster? Do you do you go in for a player? And it was a good discussion. It was like, well, I don't think they, one of the one of the points was I don't think the Wilds' window of you know competing for a championship is this season. But the counterpoint to that is, yeah, but it's still valuable to try to make the playoffs, get that experience, and maybe go on a run in a, in a Western Conference that's not particularly great this season. So maybe trading for a goal scorer at the deadline if it's not going to be extremely costly is a good move but you know they're pretty they're pretty honest like the wild miss kevin fiala that was brought up in in the context of that post game we've talked about that they absolutely miss kevin fiala this season 27 even strength goals this season i think 33 34 um, i'm sorry last season 33 34 overall last season really anchored that second line gave them a really potent second line it really looks like Kirill Kaprizov, he did score tonight, but he's he's really pressing around. Does really pressing. Looks like he thinks he's the only one that can score in an even strength situation. And guess what? He's right. He seems like the only one who can score right now, and he was the only one who did score five on five in uh, in Wednesday night's loss. So, what they do going forward again is going to be kind of this balancing act. Does Bill Guerin push something in at least to say, okay, I, I recognize we got to do something here if we're going to make the playoffs this year. If it, the, this team is kind of hitting a wall they need an injection of scoring do something there to try to to try to make that move or does he say you know what it ain't happening this year we got to wait we got to develop we got to kind of take our lumps this year maybe it's not as important maybe the crew that that is here gets out of this funk and gets itself into the postseason anyway I don't know what he's going to do I do know this they don't seem like they have enough depth of scoring right now they don't seem like they have enough talent up and down the lineup and it's really frustrating because Kaprizov is still top 10 player in this league right now he is a top 10 scorer in this league right now he needs more help he needs more support he's not getting that right now and it is showing right now with this team just not enough not enough scoring punch and that is all you can say about this team right now take a playcation to mystic lake with 24 7 gaming the good times never have to end and you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. So let's bring in Dane Moore right now from the Dane Moore, the aptly named Dane Moore NBA podcast. Um, Does a great job covering the Timberwolves and has done that for a long time and a very successful podcast. And Dane has talked about this a lot on his show already, but I wanted to engage him on some Mike Conley trade stuff and what we've seen at least in the first two games with him in a Wolves uniform. Uh, Dane, how are you? I'm good, man. Let's do it. Can't, yeah. There's no thing is too much Mike Conley talk. There's we never can, too we much. We can always fire away. Never too much Mike Conley talk, unless, like, unless this just winds up being like a total meh trade at the end which entirely it could be like both teams go like 13 and 11 down the stretch come on rand you know that that only leads to more talk that's true <laughs> then it's like now what are they gonna do yeah it's it's, it's never it, it's always next year there's always next week when you are uh, when you're covering or um watching the timberwolves but I, you know there's a lot of interesting things about this trade and we have a very limited sample still of course of just watching two games with of, of conley with 
the Wolves. But, you know, going into this at least, and we've seen a little bit of, of this already, and I, I heard you talk about this, I think, in the in the podcast, like almost immediately after the trade, where you're trying to figure out, like, the the, the whole idea of this has been fit to a certain degree, right? Like, I don't think a lot of us are sitting here saying 35-year-old Mike Conley is a completely better basketball player than D'Angelo Russell. I think D'Angelo Russell does a lot of things better than Mike Conley, but if we're talking about fit with the Wolves and specifically with Rudy Gobert, what what to you, Dane, makes the Conley-Gobert pairing potentially better uh, than a D'Lo-Gobert pairing? What, what about that, aside from familiarity, of course, and we can get to that, but, but aside from the fact that we know it has worked, why does it work maybe more so than what we've seen, uh, what we saw with D'Lo and, and Gobert? I think you got to focus on the defense. I, I, it's natural for people to to look at the the Conley and Gobert and the the pick and roll chemistry that they had in Utah and, and develop there. That you know, quite frankly, D'Lo and Rudy never developed. But you know, for me, when I thought about D'Angelo Russell pre-trade and just building a team with D'Angelo Russell, even when the the shooting elevated and and was clutch and extremely you know, valuable to this team. I always went back to the idea of what does this look like in a playoff series and specifically what does it look like defensively? And as we went through the, you know, the beginning of the year and, and you bring in Rudy to, to fix the defense, I never got the feeling that it was fixed. I think you, you moved, you moved D'Lo into a different defensive position functionally. Once you got rid of Patrick Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley and, and as I was watching the, you know, the first 50 games or so of the season, I'm like, that role was made it very hard for me to believe in the Wolves as a, a defensive team in the playoffs. And so it got to the point where I felt like ultimately that is going to need to lead to a roster change. You're going to need to massively address the perimeter defense on this team yes. in, in one way or the other. And, and I think you remove D'Lo from the equation. You can now do things a little bit differently defensively I think there's an added reliability to Conley who you know at 35 years old is is not the athlete that he was in terms of what he can do defensively but so much of particularly in a Rudy Gobert led defense it's so much about doing your job right and and a consistency to the to the actions that you're you're required to do staying attached to the guard um pursuing and closeouts those type of things and and I believe in that a lot more I think we saw that in the Dallas game on Monday uh, a bit. And it just, it just makes me not go into a playoff series and think this team has a serious chance to be exposed defensively. So I, I, I focus on that side of the ball probably as much, if not more than the, the offensive side of the ball. That's interesting. Cause I think people would look at it instinctively and say, you know, a guy who's nine years younger probably shouldn't be as good of a perimeter defender. I'm nine years older. Shouldn't be as good of a perimeter defender, but they're, but if you're saying it's more of a fit thing, especially like you said, with with a Gobert defense, it, it is more understanding. Like, how do you kind of how do you funnel things to him? How do you how do you play to his strengths? Because he is going to be, you know, on almost every team, the best defensive player. And Jaden McDaniel is a very good defensive player too. And we've seen glimpses from Anthony Edwards stuff like that. But if we're talking about like just your flat out best player, um, you want things you want to make things as easy for Gobert as possible. Exactly, and. And I think people forget that Mike Conley was an offense, an awesome defensive player, you know, back in, particularly back in Memphis. I mean, we're talking about like one of the best defensive guards 
in in the league. And again, you know, it doesn't like the numbers certainly don't bear that out this year uh, in Utah, where he it was graded out as a slightly below average defensive right. player. But I would point to the previous two seasons, just when he was 34 and 33, like obviously Utah was a very good defensive team, but individually Mike Conley had really strong defensive metrics. And, you know, as I, as we're all kind of playing catch up now, you're trying to understand what that is, how he contributes to that. And I think it's some of the things that I was saying before of just the consistency of the action of what he's doing defensively. He's a year removed, Rand, from being 90th percentile defensively yeah. as an individual defender. And according to defensive estimated plus minus, which is kind of like the best, I think, catch okay. all defensive metrics. Those aren't perfect, but he doesn't have a it's not like he's dropped off statistically from a defensive standpoint in a drastic way in in his 30s. And I'm I think you could optimistically look at, you know, being back with Rudy and assuming that his defense more mirrors those previous seasons in Utah than it does mirror this season that he had playing on a, you know, not as good of a defensive team. Yes, Walker Kessler there, but overall that Utah team was not strong defensively. So I think he's like one of those guys you put him into an already good defensive team okay. and he doesn't hurt you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, that makes sense. And offensively, again, it's just been two games and we but we have sample size from before. And even in that Dallas game, I saw some things that kind of make you understand the chemistry that exists already there. There was an early kind of pick and roll on the baseline where where you know Conley just make an easy pocket pass to go bear for a dunk. I think we I saw something in the start of the second half too where they just had a certain understanding of where the other one was what the other one was trying to do in in that offense. I think you made an interesting point on your podcast a week ago where you said one thing you like about Conley where you think it it lends itself to working with Gobert and these weren't examples of that because these were more these were bounce passes that led to dunks but in terms of the lob game because he's got more of that intermediate floater game those do kind of lend themselves more to the potential for a lob right you're not going to you're not going to throw a lob off of a 17 foot you know a 17 foot mid-range jumper nor are you going to throw a lob off of a probably off of a drive to the rim which is kind of what Delo's game is Conley has that kind of nice in-between floater game where if a defense overcommits one way, he can make that shot. Or if it undercommits the other way, he can then go and throw that lob to Gobert, and Gobert's going to throw it down because he's probably taller and, and rangier than everybody other everybody else who's trying to defend him. So that piece was interesting to me. But just the overall chemistry and what we saw with a couple of those plays against Dallas, and you know, Gobert looking frankly just comfortable. I mean, he was nine for nine in that game, and it wasn't all Conley, but he looked a lot more comfortable and energized offensively than I, than I've seen him in a lot of games this year. Well, I think the the thing to focus on to first look at is how did how did D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards kind of operate once they come off of that screen? Like we can all picture that it's the kind of like the D'Lo cat and mouse game. He's trying to get into that that mid range area to take a jump shot. Right? He moves at a a slower pace once he gets to that spot. And Ant is you know he's all downhill speed, right? right. And where you really find that lob is once you kind of get to that like 12 foot sort of area there's a pace to getting to that position and I think Conley does a really good job or just the pace in which he does it's not that like obviously Ant's good at playing out of pick and roll and getting downhill and to the rim himself and Delos are really strong getting the mid-range in that sort of way but those speeds and cadences in which they attack didn't fit Rudy 
And with Mike Conley, I think that that use of the floater game, which quite frankly, like D'Lo nor Ant even have, no, just opens it up in the pace. It's like if you just go watch it, it's like Rudy. You go back and look at the the Rudy, the Conley to Rudy lobs, and there's just like right when Conley's kind of slowing down in the mid range area is when Gobert would start speeding up to the rim, and it's just like it's jarring if you can go look at it. There's so much more force to go bear when he's, when he's a roller in that way. And I think it's a product of the cadence and speed in which the guard is coming off of that. That fits better for go bear right now. Could have Delo developed that with Rudy to some extent, maybe ant has to at some point. I mean, it's ant has 21 assists to Rudy all season. They share the floor for 1200 minutes. That's, That's it. Bad. 21 like, assists. That has to, to change, but it's wow. a product. Yeah. 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 Wow, yeah, I didn't realize that because Ant's been getting um, more assists in general this year and handling the ball more. That surprises me. Not to Rudy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not to Rudy. It's, that's so it's, for sure. It's, it's a different. It's it's just a, it's a different pace, and I don't think it's like you know I I mentioned that at times people are like why are you hating on Ant like all star and all that. It's like no, like it is an all star without having used one of the most magnetic forces on the team around him for the entire of the year. It's a reason to be like. Man, Ant might level up, right? You right. know, a year, two yeah. years from now, and sure. once he gets that cadence with Rudy, it's just Rudy's goofy, man, right? Like it's a, it, Rudy moves at his own pace too, so you got to kind of accommodate for that. And I think Conley will sort of show Ant the way, the rhythm of which to do that. Now yeah, that's interesting, and I think we saw that a little bit in these first couple games. I'll be interested to see, you know, what mm-hmm. we see in in the Thursday game, and then obviously they get a little break, maybe a little chance to. Not only get away, but let let uh, let Chris Finch get to the uh, get to the whiteboard, get in and kind of put on his uh, his uh, mad scientist hat and try to figure out ways to cook up even more <laughs> offense. But you know, at, to your to your point, I think you made on your show uh, earlier too. Like Utah had a pretty good offense with uh, with Gobert and Conley kind of being central figures, and I think they yeah. were like first and third in offensive efficiency the last couple of years. You know, I was obviously with Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell, but if you imagine. Anthony Edwards kind of in that Donovan Mitchell role, not quite de- as developed yet, uh, not as, as nuanced a game, but still a, def- a, a dangerous score. And then you, know, you imagine ultimately getting Cat back, although maybe that's a question for another time and as to the timing on that and how that all fits together. Like you, you see how this all can get better. It's just interesting to think of how Conley, not a, not a more dynamic offensive player than D'Angelo Russell, but that the fit, could unlock some things on this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's right. It's the reason that, you know, even dating back to September, October, the, I, I think some of the logical mentality was this was going to be better in year two, year three with Gobert than it was going to be the first year, which is, I think, hard for us or the fan base to kind of into it, given the fact that you give up five, per, five first round picks to go get yeah. a superstar player that seems on the surface to be a win now move. And I think it is, and they should be to some extent held to that standard, but given that it's Rudy Gobert and it's not Kevin Durant, you know, or another type of Paul George, whatever star player that's traded for a boatload of picks, there is, there always going was going to be more of an acclimation process with him than there was going to be to another star player. Now, does that maybe, even make the price seem crazier, right? That, that you paid for them. Yes. To, to some extent, I think it does, but I think it also remains a fact of 
the reality of what the situation was always going to going to be was that this was going to take time and time is something they haven't had on their side, given the fact that Carl was out in training camp, Rudy was out in training camp. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, Carl gets hurt. So I don't want to be like, wash it all under the bridge. And year one was like year zero. Right. Yeah, um, I don't right. think they, you know, PJ flex style get that, but, <laughs> right. um, but that was part of that. That was always going to be part of the thing, man, is, is that this was not going to be good right away. It, yeah. it just, it, I just don't think anybody could. And that's why they shouldn't have messaged it that way too. Like the, when they were saying, Oh, it's going to be a seamless fit with cat and Rudy. Right. I think you also set up some expectations for a seamless fit. That was, you know, not when, a reasonable said, expectation. When Cat said championship or bust, that probably didn't help them either. Right. But that's no. just that's just the exuberance yes. of Cat. That's fine. And maybe some of what he was getting at there will will come to fruition at some point. Uh, Dane, a few more things for you. One, um, you said, I mean, we shouldn't they shouldn't be punting on the first year because they are right in the mix. Where do you I mean, where do you think they shake out now i mean they weren't the only team that made a move um you know they just beat the mavericks who added Kyrie irving um you know the lakers obviously was one of their trade partners they they traded there um d-lo goes there jared vanderbilt goes there Uh, malik beasley goes there it's like wolves wolves west now um over in la and obviously durant (laughs) to the suns like how do you what's their place in in the west at this moment um how do you think i mean are they i mean Obviously, with the way the standings are, they could they could be playoffs, play in, or completely out, and it could be a matter of a half game game tour at the end of the year. Um, do you think they're where? What's what's realistic right now? I guess based on what we know. Don't you think it's realistic to say that we should rule out missing the play in altogether at this point? You know, I maybe famous last words there. I understand it's so jumbled, and they are only a, like a game or two out of the ten. But when I just look at the West. And what did happen at the deadline and a team like Utah kind of having their actions punt on the season, the Lakers are kind of buried. It's like it's it it's hard for me to see a path where this team, you know, ends up being the 11th seed. Like I just I, I think we've learned over the course of this year that, you know, even if Rudy misses time or Kyle misses time or Kat misses time, that this team still kind of operates at a 500 level. Now, maybe if you lose Ant. Like yeah, that would, that be, would be the only way I right. could really see them falling out of it. I mean, I, I was though for mo- most of the season being like, yeah, you know, this is dangerous, but I think the trade deadline kind of shifted my opinion on that. And then, so I'm kind of more focused on that sort of four to eight, nine, maybe 10 range that, you know, is a matter, again, a matter of just a few games, but you look at Phoenix and KD's not back. Like, is that a better team in the playoffs on the wolves? hundred percent. But like, do we think that the Suns are for sure going to finish with a better record than the Wolves in the regular season? Like, I don't think the the final Western Conference standings after game 82 are going to be indicative of a power ranking in the Western yeah, Conference. Yeah, that's fair. We I think that's fair, playoffs. yeah. Like, like the Kings are not we're, are not going to have the third best odds of coming no. out of the Western Conference. Of course, no. If they finish with the three seed. You Perfect. know, it, it's, it's just one of those years. And Dallas and the Clippers and the Suns are all these teams – and Golden State too, who could just find themselves six, seven, eight, nine, and then be dangerous in yes. theory in, in the playoffs. So I'm less focused on what seed they actually get. I think it might be better than we think, but it's going to be so much about who they draw in that matchup, man. Like there's just teams I think that this team clearly has significant matchup problems against, and then some that you go, ah, 
I think they could maybe take some advantage of that matchup there too. So it, it'll, you know, it's going to shake out. You can't control what the other teams are doing and you might end up drawing the Suns in the first round, right? Even if you have yeah. a better record than them, right? You could be the four and they could be the five. Like, uh, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's been, it's been insane like this in the West, uh, all year. And, you know, it's just kind of having that daily discipline of like, Hey, if we do blow this game to the wizards, like, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. Um, cause it's going to affect them, affect them in the standings. So it'll, it'll be interesting to track only 20, 22 more games yeah. left in the season though, as we record this and not belong that lead against the Mavericks was pretty important. Cause I mean, it's just, it's a game you 100%. couldn't lose when you were down, you're up 26 and gave them the tiebreaker yeah. at the end of the year over Dallas as well. Whoever won that game was going to have that head to head tiebreaker, mm-hmm. whether it comes to seating or not, I don't know if it will, but Good to not good to not have that one go in the last column the way that that game transpired. A um, couple more big picture things for you. One, um, you do as good a job as this as anybody. Um, explain to me, like I'm an eight year old Dane, why this why preserving the salary slot. You know, the the other element of the Delo trade was he's an expiring mm-hmm. contract. Conley's got one more year after this. Not as not at the same level as Delo, but you know, close enough that you've mm-hmm. then kind of pushed this a year further. Why is that so important for a team like Minnesota, where they are respective to the salary cap and the luxury tax? Yeah, well, the Wolves have this little window um, next season where they their team hasn't gotten really expensive yet. We know Carl got the massive, you know. 50 to 60 million a year contract, but that doesn't kick in until 2024, 25. He gets like a $15 million raise that season. Ant is going to be on a, a max contract by 2024, 25. So that's going to jump his salary by like $22 million. And then Jaden McDaniels, he's that same draft class as Ant, right? That's when his new contract is going to kick in. That might be a $20 million jump too, because he's making pennies right now. So you're looking at this team getting insanely expensive by 2024, 25, which has all its own luxury tax issues implied there. But what it also has is that they have no cap space in perpetuity to, to be able to add to this team, a substantial, like more than a $10 million player, basically for the entirety of the next six years that Carl Anthony Towns is under contract. Yeah. So you have this window right now where it's like, all right, you got this D low salary slot, but, how do you want the salary slot to be D'Lo? You can't just, you couldn't just let D'Lo fall off the books and then spend another $30 million on, on another player. Cause the, the, while there is some of a window there, it isn't a max salary cap slot window. So part of the motivation of the trade and, and Tim Conley more or less acknowledged this when he addressed the press after the trade deadline was that there was an attraction to Mike Conley being under contract again for next season, which you keep a near max player on the roster and you keep that salary slot. Now maybe Conley ends up, you know, being a guy that you're you're comfortable with doing, but what you can now do is you could trade Mike Conley in the summer or next season at the trade deadline for another 25 to 30 million dollar player. If you just didn't bring him in at all and you just let Delo walk or you know, his contract expire, you have no way of really adding that 25 to 30 million dollar player. So it just gives I guess the the 8 year old answer is it gives you more optionality to add expensive players to this team as you go forward and you would lose a really expensive asset just in that slot if you let Delo go or you could have 
you could have kept it by D'Lo, but you would have had to give D'Lo an extension. Right. And like we were talking about at the top, is that the player that you want to hold that salary slot with on your own team? Or, or even is he someone who's going to be able to be traded two, three years down the line when he's making $30 million again, if he doesn't improve? You, you get off the risk that yeah. was D'Angelo Russell yeah. by, by making this move. And I think that's just from a salary cap standpoint, what was definitely part of the motivation for this team. Absolutely. Final thought um, with the, uh, you know, I think there's been some question about the value that they got in this deal, whether or not you love Mike Conley or love D'Lo and there's D'Lo man. He's, he's a polarizing guy for sure. It's a love, love, hate with, with Wolves fans, a lot of love, and, and plenty of people who are like, yeah, get that guy out of here as fast as you can. I was more on the latter end of that spectrum. But um, getting you know another player who doesn't, I don't know if he's going to factor into this much, but the three second-round picks, how do you think Conley did overall from a trade standpoint in terms of value? I was surprised by how much they got back, honestly, man. Um, I remember just trying to get the information on, on, on what the second-round picks were, and I was kind of like going into that being like, can they get anything right? Are you yeah. going to be able to get any sort of asset back? And, you know, I, I went into the idea of if you wanted to trade d can you one preserve the salary slot? There's value in that. Can you get some draft capital back? There's value in that. And can you get a young player on a rookie scale contract? They did all three of those things. Now, was it the best player to hold the salary slot with in Mike Conley? Probably not. Was it a super attractive Player on a rookie scale contract? No, Nikhil Alexander-Walker has not been that thus far. And then it was just second round picks rather than a first. But I think from the pick standpoint, what people need to remember is this team entered the trade deadline with no first round picks that they could trade. Yeah. And they only had four second round picks. So now you've nearly doubled your draft capital in terms of functional tradable assets by going from four to seven second round picks. And look, man, if you followed the trade deadline, you saw meaningful players getting moved for three, four, five <laughs> first-round picks. Round pick, yeah, second or no, round second-round picks. picks. Yeah, second-round picks. Yeah, yeah, you know, so now the Wolves the wolves have, again, this summer or down the line, they have a little bit more that they can use to tweak this roster. And the reality of the situation is you're going to need to tweak the roster in Anthony Edwards's career and prime. That's how all any star player, every single team has done that, where you kind of have that surrounding churn of role players and this opens up a little bit more opportunity to be able to get those players to add around Ant in time. So I, I just from a value standpoint, again, those are the three things I was looking at. I think there is some intrigue to Nikhil Alexander-Walker, even though he's a free agent at the end of this season, though a restricted free agent, right. uh, which which helps. So, yeah, man, just from a value standpoint. Uh, in terms of assets, I, I, I was I was surprised it was as much as it was. Yeah, I was too. I thought they, I thought you did pretty well in that deal. I mean, just to, to get three second round picks again, those are not, you know. And again, it's this is not like um, the the one in a million hole shot of getting, um, you know, Nikola no, Jokic. There's in the cigarettes in jail. That's what that's what it is. Like people people are like, wait, so you want to get rid of Nas Reed so you could get second round picks to draft another Nas Reed? It's like, no, that's not what it is. This is how you get veterans on your team yes. is draft picks. You trade the draft picks to get veterans. Like, yes, maybe one or two of them they will use on a second round pick, which by the way, like Jalen Noel has some virtues. Josh Minot has some virtues. Yeah. Nas Reed wasn't even drafted. Right. Like Jordan maybe McLaughlin you can pick up drafted. I mean, they're, they're, a player. Exactly. 
exactly. So it, it's it's both values, and people need to not just focus on the idea that it's like, oh, cool, you think we're going to be able to replace D'Lo with a second-round pick? Like, no, <laughs> I, I don't. I do not think you will be able to draft someone as good as D'Angelo Russell with a second-round pick. It's the idea that these are the things that get you better external pieces on, on other teams. It's how it's how you build a roster out. It's it's not to just draft players. It's not just because he drafted Nikola Jokic in the second round, so he has some deep love for second round picks. I don't think that's no. was the motivation behind this at all. No. Well, and I think there was some hostility towards Connolly, no matter what he was going to do, because people are still frustrated by how the Gobert trade has played out so far. And again, we'll see if mm-hmm. Conley Mike Conley, um, Tim Conley and Mike Conley is going to be a, a complication, when, especially when, at least when you're talking about it for, for the next however long it right. is. But, um, you know, we'll see how, how that pairing works out. We'll see where they go to the rest of the year. It's going to be interesting. This team is interesting always, no matter what, gives you plenty of plenty to talk about, Dane Moore, on your NBA podcast. Listen to that, please, if you don't already, and plenty of people do already, but if you don't, check that out. And, uh, Dane, we'll talk to you soon, all right? Yeah, man. Uh, we might we might be due for another Bally Sports conversation on this episode or another. You see, you yes. see that? Yes, I did. Uh, they are uh, bankrupt. They're, they're missing their they're missing their debt payment. They had a great they had a wonderful euphemism um, that I, I put on here. Progressing its ongoing discussions with creditors and other key stakeholders regarding potential strategic alternatives and deleveraging transactions to best position Diamond Sports Group for the future. That's a fancy way of saying yuck. We are out of money. Sorry, <laughs> man. What a mess. What, what a, a mess. mess. It's just, it's just, I mean, and we talked about this before too. We'll talk about it another time, but it is a bummer to me. And I know to you as somebody who cares about people being able to consume the twins yeah. and the wolves and the wild, you know, like that's what we want to do. They just haven't and made we it just e- want it to be they normal. Just, they just haven't made it easy on people. They've made it way too hard. And even, you know, the app, I, I, I do it through the app now and the app is fine, but they don't have the twins on mm-hmm. the app. Like Same. I'm going to drop the app as soon as the season's over. If they don't have the twins, cause that's that. What do you they don't No, They don't have agreements what? with the, the oh app. Major league baseball only has an agreement. Only five teams have an agreement with them right now. Um, so if they don't have an agreement with baseball oh teams, like just forget about it. They're going to be out of, out of the it's public. Just, co- they're going to be out of the know, public it's, consciousness it's a, for like six months if they don't have baseball. That's that's and I I mean it's dumb. It, I feel for our friends who work for yeah. Valley. Yes, you know, I do too. And are yeah. wanting to be broadcasters and yes. reporters and yeah, and that sort of thing too. It's um, it's just a deep mess. Yes, and the games will still be on. I mean, this is not going to change anything in the immediate future, but. You know, whatever comes of this, I had, I had mm. Jason Gerwin on from the streamable last week to talk about this, and he's really smart on all this stuff. He's like, whatever takes its place, right, if there is the if there is like a direct to consumer option, like it's not going to be as valuable to the leagues, and that's going to be the thing that's really they, they've got to factor in is like, what is this going to mean for revenue going forward? Well, everything's changing. Everything's changing yes. in the sports media world, and this there will be a change, and it's about being quick to making that happen right. and not losing. It's like, honestly, to use a, a Timberwolves comparison, right? Like that franchise hurts today because for like a generation of Wolves fans, they had a fairly irrelevant product, right? Yeah. And, and it's extremely impactful on the now when the team is getting better. And it's, you know, not, I don't think Valley sports is gonna be a problem for 15 years, but there is a micro value of that, right? In, if you lose, if you don't watch the twins for a year, yeah, 
I, I'm going to be far less inclined to watch him the, the following season or the yep. Wolves or the, you know, like whatever. Um, it's, uh, it's bad. It's, it's, yes. it's bad for, for sports fans. And it's yep. bad. It's bad for sports business. And somebody will take advantage of this. Somebody yes. will take advantage of this. This doesn't need to be as complicated as it's being made. No, you remove some of the greed from this and we just get to watch sports. Yeah. That's, that's what needs to happen and and charge what you need to charge. Right. But just assign a value to the product. Let us choose if we want to pay for that or not. And let us bank on that being a consistent option. Uh, it's to keep yanking the football out before yeah. Charlie Brown kicks it is, is just, it's a sad thing and, uh, sad. and frustrating. And yeah. I'm upset about it. Well, I mean, and you're not alone. Like this is the thing that I get the most like, emails and stuff about just consistently because people are you know it, it affects them this is the this is a like a core mm-hmm. fan issue like if you make it harder or more expensive or whatever it is and, and to watch a game then it's just it's defeated and i you know mm-hmm. I, the teams are frustrated by it too i mean especially i know you know and probably know more about the twins and their frustrations than anybody but the teams are frustrated by it too and they, there's only so much they can do because they've got contracts but it's it's a mess it's a total mess I, I've I've talked with some of the Wolves players about it, and they're just like, "What? Yeah, <laughs> wait, people can't watch the games." Yeah. And I'm like, "Yeah, well, it's not, it's a little bit more nuanced than that, right. but uh, but yeah, it, again, particularly for the Wolves who aren't on national TV very much, right. it's like, I you know, I I know for my my dad has Hulu, right? Yeah, that's how he yeah what that's his cable provider. Yeah, so he like you know he he would watch the Wolves. Right. He just doesn't yeah. doesn't have the opportunity. And then you take that break and you're like, I don't know, is this actually something right. I'm invested in and want to pay for once the, the time comes again? Yeah. So, you yeah. know, again, for the fans and for the Bally workers, um, you know, that's I just want some normalcy there. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's too much to ask. Great conversation with uh, Dane Moore. Really enjoyed him hopping on and uh, joining me for that discussion. Uh, like I said, we got into some Bally stuff, Bally Sports North stuff at the end. That was unplanned, unscripted, but uh, I wanted to keep it in there because I thought it was a good discussion. If you kind of got lost in there, like what are these guys talking about? On Wednesday, Diamond Sports announced that they were going to miss a $140 million interest payment. That was expected, but that does trigger kind of this 30-day window where they're going to kind of reevaluate their debt. Could be a a forerunner to bankruptcy and bankruptcy could be a forerunner to renegotiating or, you know, ending some of these contracts with these teams, these leagues, major league baseball could be the one impacted the most earliest. We don't know how that's going to play out. Dane's Dane's bigger point was how frustrating this has all been. The, the process over the years of people not having as much access to watching the wolves, watching the wild, watching the twins on Bally sports, North watching the links, that, that sort of thing with, them disappearing from different channels, from different streaming services, from different satellite carriers, things like that. That's not really part of this equation. But part of the equation is this. If their financial situation is not going to be the one the one model going forward, what is going to replace it? And can that be a more effective, fan-friendly product going forward once this all gets sorted out? We don't know what it's going to look like. I think we do know, we, I think we do know however, that it should look better than what we have been getting the past few years with these Bally channels. That will do it for today. Should be a good show coming up on Friday. Going to have some extended thoughts on Brian Flores. He was introduced as the Vikings defensive coordinator on Wednesday. He had some thoughts on, you know, just the way he wants to run things here. So I'll pull a bunch of clips from that, talk through some of the most important things he said. I think we'll have some stuff on the Wolves game. And Randy Johnson will join me to talk gopher hockey 
that team down the home stretch of the regular season heading into tournament play here in not too long. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again on Friday.